So the guy says, do you have anything to, to declare? And I said, not a thing. It's the Kivecast. The Star Wars Collector's Archive Podcast. A monthly audio magazine dedicated to vintage Star Wars toys and memorabilia. Hosted by Sky Payne, Fudd, and Stephen B. Denley. Market data by Brisbane Brisbane Mike and Fratastic Pete. Tech support by the Lowmark. Steve Denny regales the Kivecast with tales of finding literally thousands of carded figures and prototypes in the wild, wild Midwest of 1980s and 1990s Cincinnati. Learn about the proof finds, Canadian and unproduced droids and Ewoks, rocket fets, revenge proof sets for 50 bucks, and the mysterious Mr. X. Plus, Sky unveils a conspiracy theory that may lead to the greatest scandal in the history of the hobby. All this on the cursed 83rd Vintage Pod, brought to you with the help of John Wooten and KennerCollector.com. Wampa Wampa. Welcome to Kivecast 83. Steve, it turns out, at some point in a future date, there will be a trivia question about our podcast, and it will be, what number is unlucky for Sky and Steve? And that number is 83. Yes, that's true. <laughs> this episode has been absolutely cursed. <laughs> um, we we recorded it, I don't know, two weeks ago. Yeah, something and like that. We just recorded half of it, and we had problems with Skype. Uh, Steve moved into Eagle's Nest, and the internet yeah. kept on cutting out. Yeah. <laughs> We had like problems with people saying they wanted to be on the show and then not wanting to be on the show. We had people who said they wanted to be on the show and then flaked out. We had people who wanted to be on the show, but we couldn't figure out a time. It has just been a complete nightmare. So I I spent the weekend at a a very pleasant event that I'll describe. It was sort of an informal get-together of collector friends. And this is and, where this is where the tide turns, right? This is where things start to go the right direction. <laughs> right. And I just said, you know what? 83, the second half of Sherpa, I don't know what it is, but there's some kind of Ewok juju on that. Yes. <laughs> and, and we just, I'm a superstitious Ewok. I don't know if it's because I said all those things about uh, uh, Latara. Um, I, I don't know what, but we just need to have a cleanse. So this <laughs> is going to be a heavy, heavy story time episode. Right. It's not going to be a blog log, but no. it's going to be a short episode. Um, it's not going to have the standard format that we always have, um, because I, I really think that that standard format. I think we're we're not moving away from it, but I think that we're sort of being nimble and and mm-hmm. applying it where we need. So right. we've recorded tons of great stuff about Sherpa. Um, we're going to get more great stuff. We're going to catch up with a lot of other people. But uh, 83 is cursed, and we just need to get it out. We need to, right. <laughs> as they used to say on the Howard Stern show, get the poison out. Uh, <laughs> it just needs to be exercised. <laughs> yes. That's not actually how they used it. Um, right. Steve, there's a machine in the corner. Um, okay. So any Howard Stern fans are going to be laughing and disgusted right now. Right. Which is the way they like to be. So... That's what's up, Steve. Um, that's the idea behind 83. It's Father's Day. Right, yeah. It's, um, a, it's a good day for you. It is a good day for me. Usually yeah. I try and do something, you know, me-related on, on, on Father's Day, you know, besides going to Pizzeria Uno, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I secretly love Pizzeria Uno, and I I'd only go there on Father's Day because it's disgusting. Oh. Okay, all right. And it's, you know, beneath me as a connoisseur of food and all right. that junk. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I, I recorded a lot of great material this morning, and you'll actually hear during the show that we tie it back to Father's Day. Ah. And also, Steve, I'm going to do something else. Could, could, could you hear my eyebrows go up uh, mysteriously when I said something else? Yeah, I, I, I could visualize. You could visualize it. Yeah. At the end of the show, Steve, I am going to ask a serious and provocative question that yep. might lead to the biggest scandal in the history of vintage Star Wars collecting. I think we'll get uh, a Netflix documentary series out of this. That's my, my guess. I was sitting around talking to some of the smartest people in the hobby and asking questions, and none of them could answer definitively. So what did I do, Steve? Did I do more research? No. I didn't do more research because I want to just throw the question out there and let everybody answer it and say, of course, of course you're wrong, Scott. You're just paranoid. That whole thing can't be a gigantic scandal. Those can't all be fakes. Tell me I'm wrong. Prove to me I'm wrong. I am 99% certain that I'm wrong, but as Batman versus Superman has made us so bold to say, if there's even a 1% chance that I'm right, <laughs> then I must make a five-hour terrible movie. <laughs> so that is coming up at the end. What question is that, Steve? That question is coming at the end. Right, yes. Um, there were a couple things from the old show, um, from the Cursed 83... <laughs> Which do we have, dare? Do we dare raise them again? <laughs> I know. I, I don't know. It's. I, I feel. I feel a little superstitious here. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're both paranoid and superstitious. <laughs> I, I am. It's. It's really a good thing that I've never gotten into cannabis because. Uh, <laughs> um, but there's a couple things. One, we now have an Instagram account. And, yes. And we have interviewed the person who runs the Instagram account, and we have a great interview with him, and. It's awesome, and he's someone that we've never talked to, and that's all going to be on the next month's episode. That went great, right. but that doesn't fit this month's episode, so we're just going to leave that a mystery. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm really into these mysteries. You know? I, yeah, I can tell. It's, it's the, the theme of the day. So go ahead and track down our Instagram account. Yeah. And then there is a little bit of news that I think we should get to just because it's timely. <laughs> Watch out! It's Kenner's news. It's Kenner's news. Sure. And there's going to be a lot of Steves in this episode. Yeah, it's 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 growing. It's crazy. And the Steve I want to talk about first, Steve, is probably my favorite Steve, and that's you, Steve. Oh, so, Steve, well. tell us, do a little bit of publicity because you never publicize yourself. What have right. you been up to? Well, I failed miserably at this the first time we tried it, so I'll see if I can maybe be a little better. I don't yes. know. It might get worse. but um, So I guess last month, right, on, on the 25th of May, I launched a new website, which is called Star Wars at the Movies. And for anyone that kind of has been following me, kind of blabbering about stuff for the last, I don't know, couple of years, it's kind of been my collecting interest is all that theatrical ephemera from the original trilogy era. So I've started kind of a website as its own thing, a little side project. And part of that is a, is a podcast too, which the, uh, the first episode came out on the, on the 25th when the site launched. Um, and it's like an international oral history about the original star Wars movie going experience. So it's not so much collecting wise. It's, it's more, it's more kind of, um, 
I don't know, experiential. I don't know if that, that makes any sense, guy. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. And it's funny. I've been you know, talking with some collector folks over the weekend, and I talked a lot with Chris Jorgulius. Chris Jorgulius. <laughs> and uh, he was sort of asking, like, I don't think he was asking if we were on the outs, but um, <laughs> that was kind of like, so uh, Steve's going on, on his own, huh? And uh, and it is funny. Like, you you very much made sure that this was like your thing and I think it's great and it's awesome and it's not on our feed so you have to go track it down we're not going to force feed it to you although that was offered just so you know I know I'm, no, no. I'm totally supporting Steve but Steve he wants to spread his wings he wants to fly right. to Eagle Nest out of the Eagle's Nest <laughs> out of the Eagle's Nest he wants to be bigger than the Star Wars Collector's Archive that's what he told me oh man that's see this is... he said he said, he said screw Gus Screw Chris, screw Ron. I'm the new god. That's what he said. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, so it's it's a really fun show. And also another thing that, that Chris – so basically often when I talk to Chris Jogulius, he, uh, he tells me all the things that we're doing wrong on the show. Chris Yeah, um, he's been good with that. <laughs> he has been good with that. But um, – I'm, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek. He just sort of gives advice and, and gives talk, and he talks about how much yeah. people love the nostalgia stuff. Mm-hmm. And you may have noticed over the last five or six months, we have included more nostalgic stories. Um, yeah. Because people do like it. And it's not what we're interested in. We're not about that experience. We're not about right. I Grew Up Star Wars. We support I Grew Up Star Wars, but that's not the focus of our show. Right. But that doesn't mean we'll never talk to people who want to talk about that stuff. Yeah, um, but Steve's show is like beyond nostalgia. It's like this weird, like you said, experiential. Like it's not about gee, I liked it. It's like what was the actual experience like? What were the movie yeah. theaters like? How right. sticky was the floor? <laughs> right. How many rats were there? <laughs> yeah, and when you get international, yeah. Steve, you got to start asking about popcorn things because uh, yeah, I think you'll learn some interesting stuff about French popcorn someday. <laughs> so okay, that's good so, to know. I'm going to so jot that, that down. <laughs> yes. So that's Steve's new podcast, and I completely suggest that you uh, go and listen to it. Um, I it it brings me joy to to hear it. Um, that's that's good to hear. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I think I I mentioned the idea to you maybe last summer. As like, am I crazy about this? Is this insane? And you you gave me a pretty good response. Um, so I I thank you for that because um, I don't think if you would have said ah. I don't think I don't think it would exist. So uh, I I trust you a lot. Well, I'm really good at not saying. Uh, <laughs> um, so let's move to the second most important yeah. uh, Steve in the hobby, uh, and that is Steve Sansweet. Yeah. And I've been thinking about whether or not to include this in this weird truncated episode 83. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've really, you know I've as everybody who listens to the show knows I think a lot about the show. Um, if I spent more time responding to emails and less time thinking about the show, we'd probably be doing better. Um, but to some degree, I don't like keeping up on current events because right. I consider it to be an audio magazine and it's yeah. sort of a timeless thing. Right. But this story is in and of itself beyond news. It's sort of yeah. a, a crucial moment, I believe, in the history of vintage Star Wars collecting. Like, I think this I, is yeah. a turning point. It so, is. Yeah. So... Most of the people listening will know this story, and right. if you do, well, I've provided um, 
uh, chapter lists in the uh, in the show notes and and on the podcast and in the YouTube. So there's no reason for you not to go ahead and skip to the next part. I know pretty well what happened with the Sand Suite robbery, but maybe you could tell us what exactly happened with the Stephen Sand Suite robbery. Well, so it seems like this all kind of came to light with a, a separate theft that became public, which was the, the rocket FET from the collection of Philip Wise, who runs Rebel Scum, and, and that that was, what, a, a few months ago that came out? Yes. And so, you know, that, that was kind of a, a shocker because it, it linked a, you know, a, a name that I recognize. I, didn't, I don't know Carl Cunningham personally, but I, I, I recognize the name immediately as someone that's pretty prevalent in the collecting community. So it was kind of, I'm sure it shocked a lot of people to hear that, that he was, you know, the, the, uh, the perpetrator in that whole thing. But then, right. I guess, and so, so yeah. wait, well, so how that happened was Philip Wise realized it was stolen. Right. And fortunately for him, he's a very well-known name in the hobby. Um, he doesn't communicate a lot with people because, you know, he's sort of in a weird authority, like authority position of rebel scum or I don't know what, right. but certainly sure. everybody knows him. And if yeah. he wants to let people know he's been robbed, a lot of people are going to know, especially yeah. for an item like, uh, like rocket fets, which right. later in the show, we'll learn, um, about somebody who had four of them just kicking out his house at one point. Um, <laughs> but, uh, now they're obviously very rare. I, I believe they are edging up towards the $40,000 value. Um, for uh. for rocket fets, and as we discussed in a previous episode, there's probably eighty of them. So yeah, that's a that's a lot of dough. <laughs> yes, and if my number's wrong, Chris Jogolius will have to remind us. But I'm pretty sure that's the correct number. Yeah. And so, how was that uncovered, Steve? So with, with the the rocket fet, yes. Uh, so that it was something that was on display, right? So it was something that was easily noticeably missing, and um, so Philip. You know, posted to Rebelscom that about the whole thing, and um, you know that you know Carl's name was was kind of implicated with it, and no, but no, but, or, but sorry, what? No, that wasn't it, right? Wasn't it that he tried to sell it to somebody? Right, right, right. So yeah, he had, he had tried to sell it. Um, that was that was what triggered it, I guess. Right. So the, Carl the, the Cunningham tried to sell it to Zach right. Zach Tan in California. Right. Right? Yes. Is he a member yeah. of your club? Yeah, yeah, he's. I've I met him um, just once briefly. I think in Anaheim. Um, he is. He is part of the California club. That he reached out to me originally through that. Um, so yeah, I, I've met him. I don't know him too well, but I just know that he's he's a pretty prominent uh, collector and, and dealer down here in LA. Um, right. So yeah, he, he buys and sells that, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Um, so he was so, in deals with a guy named Carl Cunningham, who Steve, right. I believe, is not related. Uh, to anybody in the Cunningham family from Happy Days, um, I, I just want to get that out there because yeah, that, they've that's, been that's getting quick. a lot of calls, um, and Mr. C is just very upset. Okay, that is the worst joke I've ever told on the podcast. Yeah, uh, you can mark it. Yeah, that, <laughs> you might have to put that in the in the table of contents as a little after, like a side note. Worst yes, joke. side note. Worst joke ever. Yeah. Um, so this guy Carl Cunningham, who actually does sound like a like a two bit uh, uh, superhero, um, tries to sell it to Zach Tan. Zach, right. Zach Tan had two options. He could have bought it and then fenced it and sold it to someone else and kind of obfuscated it and just made a bunch of money. Um, 
Or he could have told Philip what happened. And yeah. that's and that's what he did. Right. And, and so that put everybody onto everyone's ears went up and said Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've never even heard of Carl Cunningham, so I, I don't know. I mean, I thought yeah. I'd heard of everybody and this guy apparently was a was a big deal, but I'd never heard of him. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then then what happened, Steve? So at that point, um I think uh, you know, Philip and Zach were communicating and, and it became clear pretty quickly that a lot of the other pieces that um, that Zach had gotten from Carl, I think Philip recognized them as, as being from Rancho Obi-Wan, which is just, this is where this thing really kind of explodes into like total mayhem. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of the, the link to this. And then, you know, I, I wasn't aware of this until it was publicly announced just, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it was a long-term theft of, of high you know, high value items from Rancho Obi-Wan stuff that, I don't know, it, you know, I've, I've been there, you know, thankfully I've been there a couple times and there's so much rare stuff that is not on display. It's all, you know, just, you know, stored in boxes behind shelves and, and Steve being the, the gracious and trusting and, and just completely welcoming person that he was, like when we visited for the first time, he just let us, oh yeah, go ahead, go, go look, go look for those Uzais. They're in a box back there somewhere. Go feel free to pull them out and have a look. And I just remember I, I was there with with the California Club, and we were like, "Whoa, like this stuff is just this is crazy! Like it's all right here, right?" And and the the whole kind of environment of just openness was not something that we expected, and and we really really appreciated it. Um, so that's what sucks about this whole thing is that that experience has pretty much just been shattered. You know that that, that can't. It just can't happen again for for anybody because of what was going on here with with Carl over that that period of time. You know, being close with Steve and and just taking advantage of that. It's just really sad. Well, it's it it's a weird thing because there's yeah there's a lot of things in life where you think, wow, this is really cool. There's no way this is going to be like this forever. So I better enjoy yeah, this right now. Sure, right. Um, like any freedom you ever had in an airport. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, wow, I actually, I'm sort of, you know, like there was a time where you had freedom to do stuff and like there's, yeah, right. there's, there's times where, uh, you know, as an example, like teachers have a lot of freedom to, uh, upload, uh, like to scan books and upload mm-hmm. them onto their, whatever, onto the website for their, for, their, for the class. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think within 10 years, it's going to be a total pain and we're going to be scared by copyrights and some lawyer's going to yeah. pop out of the woods and I'm going to have to figure out some other way and my students are going to have to pay a lot of money and I'm yeah. not going to get to teach. But for now, I'm in this sort of halcyon moment of, right. hey, you know, there's, there's that 20-page excerpt. I don't know. Is that fair use? Is that 10%? Oh, if I put it here, it doesn't matter. I put it there and, and I go away. Yeah, um, right. And that's kind of how it felt visiting people's collections. Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I did like a little mental tally of the collection I reasonably could have without anybody knowing that I was robbing them and I could have a better collection than I have now. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, it, but yeah. it's it's part of what makes it so great is just going yeah. and being relaxed. And I can tell you I'm not going to change. So... Mm-hmm. If yeah. you come to my collection and I invite you into my house and you want to rob me, do it. 
because <laughs> yeah. that's up to you and your conscience. I'm not going to change what I'm going to do. Right. I really, yeah. really, really don't want to be robbed, and I'll pursue you through the fullest extent of the law. Um, but I mean, I would much rather tell uh, you know I have a. Uh, like guys from the New York club who I've met in the last two years who I sure. know but I don't know as well as I know Yehuda. Right. You know, Joe yeah. O'Neill and Tyler and, and Chris Riley. Mm-hmm. They're not going to rob me. But <laughs> right. they're, they're the kind of people who might because I don't know them. But I would rather invite them into my house, have a beer with them, go to their house mm-hmm. and run the risk of them robbing me than feel secure. But that's just me. Yeah, I mean it's it's a whole yeah you're right I mean it, the the whole um, I don't know the whole practice of of sharing like what we're so used to um, I, I I'm it's encouraging to hear you say that you know you're you're not feeling any pressure to change and I, I'm not either you know it's just it's just one of those things where you you're shocked you just don't expect it and I don't know yeah. Yeah, it's that's what makes it so nefarious is just the over the time and he built the relationship for a really long time and they were friends and he went there many times. Yeah. And he was just stealing little things here and there and he stole up to $200,000 worth of of items and he's probably going to go to jail. So that's good. You know, I mean that's the way the justice system is supposed to work and hopefully the insurance will kick in and no one will lose out too much. And, yeah, and, and Steve's got an outpouring of love from the community, and I think this has brought him more publicity than getting into the Guinness Book of World Records. Well, it, yeah, that's that's the other thing that that's tripped me out is um, kind of seeing where where this story was reported, like how widely it was reported, and all these crazy major, you know, news outlets that when you think about Star Wars collectibles. There's usually a, a certain story that's always kind of told, and it usually comes out right when a new movie's coming out, or this or that. But there's no, there's no big, big splash that's positive, and then you have this happening where it's just everywhere. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm. What do you? I'm just curious what you think in terms of the way that the the wider masses view this whole whole thing now, and in, in the wake of this, with it being so such a big story. I don't know. Well, I, I think it just it just it it makes sense, you know. If, yeah. if you were telling me, because people like Star Wars and they like toys, but they don't they don't really have any reason to care, and so somebody right. has a lot of toys. I mean, uh, you know, Bill McBride does a lot of work to get out there and to have little videos of him on Yahoo and stuff, and people care because he has a great big collection and like Darth Vader. But yeah. the, the crime aspect and the sense of injustice, right? And it just it touches on more of our entertainment needs. It's, yeah, it's a more entertaining yeah. story, sadly. Right, sadly. Um, yeah. Like awesome dude creates a non nonprofit Star Wars museum and lets lots of people in and does lots of work for the community. Right. Not a story. Yeah. Uh, that same yeah. guy gets ripped off by a jerk. And that's a story. Right. Um, the real yeah. story for me is that the main picture that they use in all those outlets <laughs> features one Stephen B. Danley. Right. Uh, yeah. And that's it, just... It's just crazy. Like, I, I remember my boss uh, emailed me. He's like, is that you in that picture? I'm like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, like, that's a... I, they took that on our first visit there, and it's... Oh, no. The Curse of 83 is back, everybody. Steve just dropped out. But it's okay. It's okay. 
I'm still recording. I'm going to call him back, and, I, and we're just going to move on to the next section. We get it, okay? Steve's boss saw the picture of him and said, hey, was that you? Steve was all over the place. Oh, dear God, Steve, we must get you back. It's here. <laughs> God. <sighs> I don't know when when you lost me there, but I was I was blabbering for a minute. <laughs> it's all right. I, I I summarized it. Your picture was on there. There's a lot of you. Yippee dee for you. Okay. Is that good? Sure. All right. Good. So let's move on, Steve, with the next part of the episode. Okay. Okay. Yes, please. So, well, first of all, let's, let's talk a little bit more about this conversation with Chris Georgulius. Mm-hmm. So he was telling me some ideas he had about the show. First of all, he said we should have more information on the show, um, which I think is true, although I am not sure because I think we really lace the information in with the rest of the stuff. At least right. that's the way I yeah. try and do it. But maybe we don't quite get enough information out there. Um, but if you agree, you know, just post it on the Facebook thing or send us a message, you know, about how you'd like a little bit more more information. And, and he used as a counterpoint the the Vintage Rebellion guys um, that they do a better job than we do, I think, of just giving straight information. I mean, really getting a mm-hmm. lot of information stuff out there. So that was one thing. Um, he okay. also said we need to do less of stuff with the same people and get more new people. Yeah. Um, except that I don't know if he's listened to like the last like three months because right. we've really been trying to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. And we've been trying to expand outside of, you know, just the, hey, here's the inner circle people that we hang out with and whatever. Yeah. yeah. But this month, Steve, let's have an episode that's, hey, here's the inner circle people that we <laughs> hang out with. So, and so this is the, this is the deal. Um, you know, next month we're going to be interviewing admins that we've never interviewed before. We're going to have a new Space Freak of the Week. We're going to have our Instagram guy. We're going to have all these new people, and it's going to be totally yeah. different. Yeah. But in order to lift the curse of 83, uh, we, need, we need to go to the well. And I think, I think one of the best things in our show is when we are hanging around with people who know a lot more than we do and who've had yeah. a lot more experience than we do, and we use our expertise at getting that information out. Um, now, maybe I'm guilty of really, really liking the sort of social aspect and painting a picture and giving you the idea, um, but I just really do. I really enjoy that, and I'm going to keep doing that because to me, that's exciting and that's fun. And yeah. it's, it's not intended to be exclusionary. It's intended to be inclusionary. Like, right. hey, I sat here like in this weird diner, and I heard this conversation, and I recorded it. Here it is. You know? Yeah, yeah. So here's the story of the weekend. Um, it's well, there's some usual suspects. Okay, mm-hmm. you have me, you have Yehuda, you have Chris Jorgulius, and you have Ron Salvatore. Okay? Right. Uh, and Chris Jorgulius's wife Sharon, um, who always makes everything a lot better. That's um, true. <laughs> and then there are some new people, and when I say new people, I mean people who I've never met before who've been collecting way longer than I have. I mean legends of collecting who I have never met, or at least never met in any meaningful way. Yeah. The first of whom is a guy named John Wooten. Mm-hmm. Now, you might see him on Facebook here or there. He maybe buys and sells a little bit. But when we talk about the meaning of the hobby, when we talk about this sense of community, I think this is a great example. So the whole idea was based around a boat trip. So Ron's dad owns a boat and every once in a while he invites people down 
to go on a boat. And, you know, only eight people could fit on the boat. So it's kind of a limited amount. Right. Um, and so I was wicked psyched to be invited. And, and, and so was Yehuda. It was my first time going on Ron's dad's boat. And it, it was a great thing. Now, John Wooten has been on the boat several times in 2003. Okay. okay. In 2002. Okay. I mean, this <laughs> is when John Wooten went on the boat. And John Wooten has been in Cincinnati and gone on a lot of the he, a lot of the raids and a lot of the missions with with Ron and Chris Gerbulius and Gus and Todd and Fluffy and all those people. He used to do all that, but he was basically out of the hobby by 2005 when I really started being a member of the community. Yeah, and he doesn't even collect Star Wars anymore, Steve. <laughs> you want to know the meaning of the hobby? Okay, this is a guy who flew from Cincinnati to upstate New York to get on a boat with a guy who doesn't even collect, you know, doesn't collect the same thing as him. He's, right. he's yeah. moved on and he only collects hockey jerseys for the Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's right. Okay. Yeah. And I talked to him a lot, by the way. I, that's like, that's a perfect, uh, perfect match for, for you in terms of a conversation. <laughs> yes. By the way, jersey collecting, very interesting stuff. <laughs> um, I was. I could have talked to him a lot more than I did. Yeah. Um, so we're going. You know, a guy who was the number one stormtrooper collector in the country. I mean, the way that Bill McBride was for Darth Vader. John yeah, John, Moon, John was for stormtroopers. John Moon was was for stormtroopers, and there's yeah. been a lot of guys like that since. But he was the first stormtrooper guy, and we did interview him when we talked about the coin discovery. Um, in episodes a few back. I'm yeah. not sure exactly when. Um, but I'd never really met him. And mm -hmm. it's like, how cool is this hobby where somebody who used to have the definitive Stormtrooper pre-production run, now, like, the coolest thing in his collection are two Ron Tugnut jerseys. <laughs> um, and that is accurate, by the way. And, and believe it or not, the Tugnut jerseys are really cool. Um so he was one of the guys that was there, and he was with a longtime friend of his, and that was the person who I was really excited to meet. Mm -hmm. You are Stephen B. Danley, and this guy's name is Steve Denny. Yeah. And have you ever heard of Steve Denny, Steve? I have, yeah. And I, when I when I saw you guys are getting together, I'm like, oh man, I I, I was hoping that what you're gonna play in this episode is what would have happened. So yeah, I was I was both. Jealous, but also really, really excited that you got to spend some time with him. So it's the term like folklore and folk hero gets thrown around a lot. That's, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but this is a guy who, as far as I know, hasn't gone to any celebrations. He might have. No, he didn't go to celebration two. No, he, so I don't think he's gone to any celebrations. I don't know of him going to any meetings that aren't like Cincinnati meetings. Right. And he is just an absolute legend who I've always heard about as being the person who found all the proof cards, the guy who found so much stuff, you can't believe it. But Steve, yeah. I had no idea how much stuff this guy found. And <laughs> beyond that, I had no idea what an amazing storyteller he is. Mm -hmm. And like, just to give you an idea, I mean, he's 67. You know, he's 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 a good deal uh, older than than the sort of general collecting cohort, and you'll learn right. why. Um, but he's just like got this really like 
like laconic cool like he's 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 a tall kind of lanky guy with like pronounced features and like a northern kentucky accent which mm-hmm. i'm starting to learn how to differentiate yeah <laughs> he worked at the post office for a long time so i don't know huh. if everybody in kentucky works at the post office <laughs> um and actually his stories about the post office are so good i may need to get him on just to tell stories about the post <laughs> <Right>. office um <laughs> But like he seriously, he can tell stories about anything, and you just sit there enraptured. Um, yeah. So and so, I was in this really tough spot, and this happens all the time. So, part of the reason that I started the podcast was the one time when I got to hang around with Ron and Chris and and Tommy and all these other guys, and I got to sit around and hear their stories. I thought, I want, I like hearing this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Like for me, like as a collector yeah. who loves this stuff. And I'm just lucky that I get to be here because I had a conference at NYU and I managed mm-hmm. to get the day off or whatever. Like how can yeah. I share this with everybody? Right. So it means there's a certain point in every conversation where you're just hanging around at a table, everyone's talking, everything's going well, you're hanging out, and then you bring out your tape recorder and you say, okay, now we're going to start talking. And then you start every <laughs> single sentence with, we're here now with... Yeah, it's a drinking yeah. game. Every time Sky says, we're here now, we're here we're now take a drink, yeah. you'll be drunk by the first 10 minutes. But <laughs> it's a verbal tick, and it, it is what it is. Uh, so I – did I just say it is what it is, Steve? <laughs> that's bad. No, that's, that's, that's unacceptable. Um, so there's always this funny moment where I just have to bring out the tape recorder and start recording. And it's very tricky because with a guy like Steve Denny, you know, he doesn't listen to podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. he, he was extremely friendly, but I don't think he knew who I was mm-hmm. because, you know, he, he's not on the message boards. You know, he, he just finds the stuff and has made the most significant finds of anybody who doesn't work for Kenner in the history of the hobby, but he doesn't keep up on it. Mm-hmm. So... I want to take you through three separate conversations with him. The third one okay. is the big one. That's the big right. one about the about the proof find, about how most of the proofs that exist are out there now. Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones are just early ones, and I think you'll get a little taste. And so I'll, I'll paint the picture a little bit beforehand, and I'll let you listen to it while you're there. So, so I, I drive, you know, I, I get off of work, and uh, I drive down to a place called um, Cool Springs. In, in, in New York. That's where they were, all were, and they were going to all these, like, uh, like antique stores. You know, like mm-hmm. kind of looking around for Star Wars stuff, and didn't really find anything. Maybe some old magazines that were cool, and some overpriced yeah. puzzles. Um, <laughs> I, I did get two Isaac Hayes records on vinyl, which I was extremely hey. hot buttered soul. By the way, the best one of the best records of the 70s if you never heard it. So um, that was really fun. And then we went back to Ron's house and I, of course, got hungry because I always get hungry. And so we went to this Italian restaurant. And I don't really know how to break into conversation. And so Steve Denny starts saying how he loves ordering French dressing. That's like his favorite dressing. Okay. But he's like afraid to order it at Italian restaurants because sometimes they get upset. They think it's an insult to order French dressing at an Italian <laughs> restaurant. 
Now, first of all, I never thought of this, and I yeah. sometimes just to mess with waiters, I order German dressing. Um, but <laughs> that is something you would do. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but um, so they were going around and taking the orders, and it came to me, and I I don't even know what French dressing is. I never get it. But when they asked me what I wanted on my salad, I was like, I want French dressing. I'm just <laughs> making sure that you do that, and. Right away, Steve thought it was hilarious. Like he appreciated it, and he sort of understood because he's a ball breaker too. Like it was, it was a very quick shorthand of like we get each other. Like the fact that I would order French dressing for the express yeah. purpose of making sure that when he ordered French dressing, he would feel comfortable. Um, so that's going to lead into improbably, improbably, a story about a massive. This is the thing, okay. When we look on Facebook and people talk about in the wild finds, mm -hmm. no doubt it's really exciting. And I have made absolutely zero in the wild finds <laughs> in my entire life, okay? If I found so much as a rebel commando on a C2 yellow bubble cut card, I'd post it on Facebook and just be delighted, okay? So I'm not trying to act like a snob for the in the wild finds. It's awesome that you do it. But even things like CJ's big pick... It's mm -hmm. like the modifying adjective of big does not even come close to matching the way things were in the mid-90s and the late 90s, and especially some of these finds that you're going to hear. So you'll, you'll hear this interview. You'll hear me. You'll hear Chris uh, on the other side of the table uh, try to sort of like make sure that the important details are there and Ron and Chris have heard all these stories before so they're like sort of interjecting to make sure he gets back on track mm -hmm. so uh, here's the story of uh, Steve Denny's trip up north to Canada alright here's an oldie but goodie once upon a time long ago Tikalo Carbon Tikalo Carbon story time Huh? I'm at an Italian restaurant here with collecting legend Steve Denny. Uh, he, he ordered uh, a salad and he wanted to order French dressing. And uh, he was scared because it's an Italian restaurant, so I ordered it first and I paved the way, which has granted me exclusive access to this story about Canada or something. And he's telling the story and I got so excited. Uh, they, okay, so what is the story behind a Canadian warehouse, Steve Denny? Well, the guy, the, the, the guy we picked up the toys from... Uh, he, had, he had bought all these toys. And this was up in Canada? This was in, uh, yeah, this was in Canada. I better not say the city might get him in trouble. But uh, this guy was in... Yeah, and what, what, what year was this? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. 1996, 98, around in there. So a friend of mine knew, knew this guy had all these toys, so we drove up. He shows us the warehouse. He's got... This guy bought like Wait, a warehouse, huge, a four-story warehouse. This guy would buy truckloads of uh, return toys, whatever. Uh, discontinued, and he had toys stacked up in each corner of the of the uh, of each floor. Had one girl working on them, and it was amazing. This guy said he made a million dollars a year doing this on junk junk that nobody wanted. I thought it was mind-boggling. But he had all the Star Wars, and we bought the Star Wars stuff from him. 
Now, is there anything in particular you remember buying uh, in this four-story warehouse filled with vintage toys? Well, he didn't. Ha- I don't think he, he did have some Star Wars there. We had we picked up some. Uh, we picked up about a thousand carded figures. We bought up. We bought. Well, I didn't buy them at that time, but they were shipped to me. Uh, he had some Joe Los Angeles and Strikes Back. We had Jabba playsets, speeder bikes. Uh, mm, I can't think what else. A, a thousand carded figures. A thousand carded figures at a dollar a piece. <laughs> at a dollar a piece. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, 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 Ron. Ron has a question for uh, for Steve. What, what did you pay for the sand crawlers, Steve? They're Empire Strikes Back sand crawlers, right? Yeah, twenty five dollars a piece. What'd you sell them for? Yeah, what'd you sell them for? Maybe seventy five bucks, not ninety. We didn't, we didn't, you know, we didn't kill them. That's a and, big time profit. And, and and what what does an Empire Strikes Back uh, sand crawler go for now? I don't know. Three At least three thousand, says Ron. Three thousand. Oh man, I'm going back to Canada now. <laughs> it had to be earlier than ninety-eight. He might still have some laying in there. Ninety-eight. Yeah. Were they the Droids and Ewoks? Were they the Droids and Ewoks Canadian? Yeah, there were. Yeah. That was early ninety. Because I bought them from you in ninety-one. Okay. Yeah, there were. Yeah. Right. Because I told him. My buddy said he had excess to all this. He said, "I said, look for the A-wing and look for Boba Fett. Not a one in there. Not a one in the whole group." A-wing pilot. A-wing pilot. How did you get hooked up with this guy? Well, he said, oh, I sent him a catalog, you know, SOS Toys catalog, and we became pretty good buddies. And he just, he knew this guy, and he knew he had all this stuff, and he saw the Star Wars. So the guy in Canada, you, you found out about him through your friend. Through my friend. Yeah. I could, should I mention his name? Yeah, you, you, don't, you don't have to mention names. You're, we're, we're also here with Chris Jorgulius, who doesn't like any names ever. I'm actually afraid to say Steve Denny's name, but he is right here. Can you drive up there with your son? Yeah, I went up with Kyle when he was little, and we filled up the whole the, heart, the whole car, the whole back seat, the trunk, and everything. And we went we went through uh, not security with uh, uh, customs and border customs. Yeah. yeah. What did you declare? I'm getting old at 67. Remember, there were no A wings or Boba Fett's released on Kenner Canada droids cardbacks. Those don't exist. If they do exist, email us at kivecast uh, whatever. Yeah, no, we're not going to look it up, Chris. We're going to say that it doesn't exist. And then some other Chris Jorgulius will tell us that it does. And I think on the Canadian cards, on the George and Ewoks, they didn't put the name down. There's really some, there was something different. There was something. Yes, generic art. So then you take it, you take that stuff home, and then you sold it through mail order, right? So how often did you do a catalog? Uh, about every two months. And you just mail it. Yeah, we had to print them off, go to printing, you know, so this was before, you know, computers and, well, computers were kicking in. We didn't get our first computer until 95, Windows 95. He's <laughs> putting it together like a scene, right? Yeah. Pictures, typing it up, yeah, pasting it up, old school, <laughs> real, real copy and paste. I love, I love, I love doing the cover. And Bob Fisher would do your, Bob Fisher, Bob Fisher, my good buddy would do, do, do some drawing for us, and he was a good artist. All right, well, it's, it's, uh, it's Friday, this is the first story I got out of, uh, I got out of him. I think we'll get a couple more, because this has been a pretty good story time <laughs> wow all right steve so 
That was pretty fun, right? Yeah, no, that was great. You can hear all the ambient noise, and yeah. uh, you can actually hear Sharon talking in the background. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple things I should probably make more precision on there. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear Chris sort of mentioning that uh, it was actually in the early 90s, like probably like 90 or 91. Right, right. Um, because Chris remembers buying the Canadian droids and Ewoks from him back mm-hmm. then. Man. Um, it's always... I'm really into perspective these days, like the concept of perspective and, and yeah. the nature of collecting. And I mean, I guess life itself. I don't know. I'm turning 40 or whatever it is. But it's it's pretty crazy to think that when I was 13 years old, I could have been buying these figures, you know. Um, I guess 13 years from your birth. Um, and uh, when he makes reference to SOS, he's talking about this catalog. It was mm-hmm. called Steve's Odyssey Swap. Okay. And uh, these are the catalogs that he uh, – no, Steve's Odyssey sales. And these were what he was – like he would sell. Okay. Now, there is one important thing to say, that this episode is actually brought to you sort of unofficially, officially in conjunction with the website KennerCollector.com. Yeah. So yeah. we have talked about Steve Denny before on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably about a year ago, maybe a year and yeah, a half ago, some, something like that. Yeah. But there is this interview with him, which if you like what you hear on this show, even if you don't, you must go and read this interview yeah. on KennerCollector.com. Um, and uh, it's written by Dan Florida, who is a friend of Steve's, and we'll we'll get into that later. Um, and actually, Dan Florida is stepping down, and he's being replaced by John Wooten. So that's why. Uh, oh, okay. That's that's the kind of fun thing about this thing being all connected. So yeah. Kenner Collector, we talk a little bit more about it later on in the show. Um, but this has a much longer interview, and it has pictures of everything that we're talking about here. And I'll put them in the show notes. But much more detailed. You know, there's like full scans of Steve's Odyssey sales with all mm-hmm. these crazy prices and and amazing items, and you just can get lost in it. Uh, and much more stories. And I think now that you have an idea of his voice in your head, it's even yeah. better. Because I mean, you uh, you yeah. hear that, Steve, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. I, um, it, it's funny. Like I. It's, I'm surprised how close it is to kind of how I imagined him speaking. If that's, it's, it's just weird. But like, yeah, it doesn't. I can immediately picture that that voice with with him. So it's that's funny. Yeah, and and uh, the whole thing at customs. Do you have anything to clear? Not a thing. <laughs> no. <Nah. laughs> the way he says it, and then the entire car is filled. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Um, it is great. Uh, do you, any other questions you have uh, from from listening? Oh, I mean, I, so that's that's interesting about the 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 Canadian the details about the Canadian figures. I hadn't really paid that much attention to the Canadian droids and Ewoks before. So now I'm like, I want to have to go look and then really get a a visual reference for this because um, yeah, that, I wasn't aware of that. Right, that there's no such thing as a Canadian droids Boba Fett. Boba Fett, right? Yeah. And that that's why he couldn't find them out of the how many, Steve? <laughs> a thousand, right? A thousand right. carded figures. Yeah. A thousand carded figures. So this yeah. is my favorite thing about hearing these stories. Hey, do you have a Canadian droid or Ewok figure in your collection? Is it in good condition? It came from him. Right. This is yeah. how you got it. This is where it came from. There's no doubt. I mean, a thousand. Point oh, of origin. Yeah. Point of origin. It's just really and and the. 
the Empire Strikes Back. So the the Sandcrawler was really rare. Empire yeah. Strikes Back because they didn't make very many of them. Because right, a transition Steve, piece, right? So it's a weird that weird kind of in between. Right. I don't know if you know Steve, but Tatooine is not in Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Um, and and just the fact that you know he bought it for twenty five, sold it for seventy five, and now it's for three thousand. Yeah. So yeah. it's funny because I know there's at least another half an hour of interview with him, but I I just I, I wish I got more. It's okay. Um, go to kennercollector dot com. Um, and then the next morning, okay, so you know that night uh, Yehuda didn't show up, which was a bummer. Um, ah, okay. Uh, but you know Ron and I are hanging around and talking. Everyone else went to bed early. Pretty standard stuff. The next morning, at some point, Steve, Denny, I'll, have to make sure, I'll just say Denny so you know I'm not talking about you, Steve. Yeah. Sure. Starts talking about... See, the thing is, like, you never know when he's going to switch from talking about being berated by a supervisor on the mailroom floor to <laughs> a conversation he had with a Kenner sculptor about Japanese influences on Kenner designs. Hmm. So we're going to hear about that and, and the boxes. Ticolo carbon. Ticolo carbon story time. Okay, so so now I'm. It's Saturday morning. I'm in Ron's uh, living room. I've been bursting with excitement. I'm still here next to to Steve Denny. What do we decide you are, Steve? A collecting legend or a, no? A, a folk hero. Yes, with with folk hero Steve Denny, and. and and he just, he just said, listen to this guy. I, I get radio voice, uh, Steve. I'm sorry. It's like uh, KRP. Um, so he, he just explained that uh, he got – so Zateka was a Japanese toy company that made – Yeah, Takara made them and they're Zateka models and they're super high-quality Star Wars toys. Yeah, die-cast. And they made R2-D2s that were really great. And apparently – Steve tells us that when he talked to Kenner sculptors, they said this. Okay, I'm actually going to hand it over to you now. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, I, I, what I had done, I had picked up some stuff from one of, from, I don't know, it might have been my, my one Kenner connection. And uh, they had used, no, I tell you what, it was from an engineer guy. That's who it was. And uh, they had picked, they had bought uh, some of the Japanese stuff and, uh, even had comic books and things to help them with the figures when they were making the figures, designing them, etc. So they used them as, as like reference as to what you could possibly do. So these guys in, in Cincinnati were looking at what the guys in Tokyo were doing and figuring out how to make it. And and then and then finally, just the Zuckus story. That's just too great. You you found a lot of Zuckuses at once. A lot of Zuckai. We determined that Zuckai oh, is, is is the so so. How many Zuckai did you buy at once at one point? Yeah, I'd go to the flea market, yard sales, et cetera. And this one guy knew I was looking for Star Wars. And he told me, he said he, he had some Zuckus at the house. I went to his house. He had 500 Zuckus in a banana box. <laughs> All in, uh, to see, were they loose? Yeah, they were loose. No no weapons, but they were mint. And we bought those for maybe, I don't know, two, 300 bucks. So there you go. You might be in possession of a banana box Zuckus. And that's a thing, a sentence that I've never said before, but I will now say for the rest of my life. Now you're... Yeah, yes, <laughs> exactly. You would have suggested you smell your Zuckus right now to see if it smells like banana. That's really erotic. <laughs> That's a variation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, isn't there a black version of the Zuckus or something? There, there are, is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's different. I got a sculpt of the head upstairs that's completely different. If you want to hear about that alternate sculpt for Zuckus's head, listen to episode number 72.
So not not quite as much detail there, but <laughs> right. <laughs> just that's sort of the geographical advantage, I suppose, of being in Cincinnati that you can somehow stumble into getting five hundred zuckai at once. Right. In a banana bar. <laughs> I mean, when you think about people who army build, um, you know, who army build un unlikely characters. Yeah, I spent a long time getting to to. To 300 Chewbacca's. I mean, it took me a long yeah, time right. and a lot of money. And it's just amazing. There's just like. One shot. One shot. 500. Here you go. <laughs> uh, that's good. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the next story is actually. Okay. So, I mean, here's, here's a little break from the Steve aspect. So. Mm -hmm. Whenever I go to Ron's, you know, I, I go there enough, and there's never enough to look at. You know, I could just spend so much time there, and and so I, what I really like to do, especially, is look at his paper material. Yeah. So he had yeah. printed out uh, some toy shop. So Chris Jogulius uploaded and scanned all of the 1990s catalog from Toy Shop, and we've talked about this. So right. that was a yeah. a catalog where you would. Right, uh, they would send it out, and you would make phone calls or buy things by auction. And it's it's a beautiful thing, and we'll have a link to it. And it's one of the most important things to go and read. Mm -hmm. But Ron had this all kind of printed out and in a nice format. So I was yeah. I was looking through, trying to find things that might pertain to Steve, so that I could I could ask him about it. Um, mm -hmm. But I actually found sort of. Other stuff as well that was was really fun and really cool. Um, I kind of pretentiously put up on Facebook, uh, not kind of entirely pretentiously put up on Facebook. Um, I, I just I just put uh, the picture of the scan and then just wrote the word perspective. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. I don't know, Steve. I can't. Who am I? Right? I'm just me. I can't help but be me all the time, as my girlfriend likes no, to tell no. me. Um, so you know, there's uh, okay. 16 revenge cards, 35 dollars each. Um, uh, uh, an Italian four pack featuring Imperial Commander, Princess Leia, Pop Lou, and Darth Vader uh, for 60 bucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, a, a prototype for an unreleased droids figure, which we'll get to later, because that that was mm -hmm. in Steve's collection. Uh, Australian Star Wars Power of the Force figures, um, all of them under $500, including mm -hmm. the Nikto for 145 um, Wow. And that was just really fun. And that's just fun stuff to talk about and think about. But then, you know, Ron just always gets amazing stuff. He gets amazing deals. And he took out these two uh, displays for... The die-cast vehicles in Star Wars. Okay. And he wanted to see if Yehuda could figure out the difference between them. And it's kind of a fun thing because Yehuda couldn't figure it out. And uh, here he's going to explain what is the difference between these two things and why. Change the structure. Look at the All right. So, so I'm now up uh, with, with Ron and Yehuda because uh, I, I hate interrupting Steve Denny's conversation so much. And we're looking here at two separate Star Wars die cast display. Uh, what are these headers, Ron? Yeah, header cards, I guess you'd say. And they're very different. 
but you can't quite tell. It's like one of those uh, what's the difference things in the back of like a, uh, a children's failed, menu. By the way. Yeah. failed the test. You could have completely failed the test. But if you're looking at the enhanced version or the YouTube version, I'll give you a second to see if you can tell the difference between these. They both feature TIE Fighters. They both feature X-Wings. They both feature uh, a, a uh, land speeder. But the big difference is what, Yehuda, now that Ron has told you? I still don't see it. <laughs> All right, he's being a wiseacre, but you can actually see they added a Darth Vader TIE fighter to the second one, and they took away the LP logo because they were no longer LP, and uh, they changed the colors a little bit. So it's pretty cool. It's a wicked variation of a really rare piece. Which one of these is more rare, Ron? I believe the 1979 one is rarer, so that would be the one with the Darth Vader tie. So they released the, the, the original one in 78 for the first three die-cast vehicles, the smaller ones, and then in 79, when they added the Darth Vader tie to the line, they made the second header. It doesn't have the LP logo, the structure's different, you know, it doesn't have... The later one has slots, whereas the, the first one just kind of... I think I think he's supposed to staple it onto the back of the bin or something like that, but it doesn't have slots to affix it to the bin. Um, and there's, there's some coloring differences in the, in the lettering. But the big difference is the Darth Vader tie, and it's a 79. And I've seen fewer of the later, the 79 version. So there you go. People always complain we don't talk enough about displays. So there you go, display heads. Suck it. Is that really nice? Is that, was that really necessary, Steve? <laughs> I don't know. That, that was maybe pushing it a little bit too far. Yeah, oh. It, it might have been. <laughs> But yeah, so that, that was just a, a little interlude here before we go back to Dennyville. Okay. Um, but th- I just I thought that was neat, and I'd like to do that at least once per per trip. Yeah. And then let's talk about the Alexis Diner. So there is a chance that in the future, okay, I don't think it's likely, but there's a chance that in the future, Steve, we'll all be dead. Okay, there's a great chance that we'll all be dead. <laughs> A fairly great chance, right? Um, <laughs> the end. <laughs> um, and that perhaps this hobby will continue, and perhaps the stories that we're telling will make people interested. And if you are interested in the experience of what it was like to visit Ron Salvatore and see his collection, one of the most important things you can do is go to a place called the Alexis Diner. Mm-hmm. And it's somewhere in New York, near Newburgh. Just type in Alexis Diner. And Steve, you've never been there, right? No, no, I haven't. Right, because you've never visited New York. No. Which, by the way... It's messed up, I know. You've never visited me, Steve. I know. I'm thinking, I'm thinking next summer, but that's... that's. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right, anyway... All right. Um, you like that little guilt trip there. I know. Um, so the Alexis Diner is world famous. It has like one of those crazy New York Diner, like 12-page menu. Um, it, it serves something called bagelry, which exists. <laughs> um, and it has a, a drink menu that includes an old-fashioned, which once uh, astonished Tommy Garvey. Yes. But we always go there at least once, if not twice a weekend. Okay. So we were there on the Sunday this morning. Okay, so it's it's Sunday night when we're recording this, mm-hmm. Father's Day, and I had to get home uh, in order to see my kids at three and go to Pizza Rego you know, and eat great bad pizza. Um, do you know what I like about it, Steve? <laughs> what is that? I like the point where the crust meets the cheese. <laughs> There's like this little pocket of butter that they put in there. 
<laughs> and it is like so good. Like I eat the whole thing, but all I really want is just that little pull. The ends, point. yeah. <laughs> it's one of the most satisfying bits of eating you will ever do. Okay. So we're there at the Alexis Diner, and I'm a little bit nervous because I want to leave and I want to get home. So I'm I'm a little nervous about about leaving and the whole weekend I'm like I have to get the proof story out of Steve right I have to get it Sky here a little quick uh, vintage vocab for you I don't know if we've ever actually described or defined what a proof is. So what I'll do is I'll read the excellent definition from John Kellerman's book, Star Wars Vintage Action Figures. To check on the actual printing of the print job, a very limited run was performed using the same press, plates, inks, and paper. This process resulted in press sheets, untrimmed copies of the piece to be used for final review and approval. Some of these sheets continued through the process and were cut down to finish size, and, in some cases, had the punch cut. These cropped cards are press proofs, or what are commonly referred to in the hobby as proof cards. Now, I won't go into all the different kinds of production-like and common proof cards, but the point is, is that they are all extremely rare, none of them have the figure on them, none of them have the bubble, and they were a way of ensuring that the uh, that the printing was okay, and they've become highly, highly desirable in time. To learn more, consult Matthias Rendall's book, A New Proof, uh, where he goes into this much more in depth, and you don't have to spend the $400 it takes to buy Kellerman. I just happen to have Matthias's book downstairs. That's why I didn't use his for the definition. Okay, let's get back to the story of Steve Denny and the amazing proof find out of Steve. I have to get it. I mean, the foolproof story will always be on KennerCollector.com, but I need to get it for us, from him. And the night before, he was too tired, and we ate at Ron's family's house, and we had chicken cacciatore, and steak, and ribs, and oh man, we ran on the boat, we went to a lighthouse, we had all this great stuff, and it was never the right time. And so we sit down, and we order our food, and I'm just like, screw it. And I just start talking, and I start talking to John Wooten, and, and I record it as I get ready to eat my eggs and sausage. <laughs> and so that, that was it. And this is – what I want to do is I want to tell a fictional story. Now, the numbers that I'm telling you are all real. And they're mm -hmm. all based on comparable items and comparable times, okay? But I didn't want right. to tell anything particular because people get annoyed when you talk about things that they bought and sold, right? And so I'm not all the people in here. So basically what I did was I created a fictional proof card and I'm going to trace it from 2002 to 2017 with okay. exemplary prices, okay? And these are all, all right. based on real sales from real times, okay? It's kind of a fun idea, right? Yeah, and I, I like this. this okay. Is good. So let's imagine a 21 back Empire Strikes Back Snaggle Truth proof card. Okay. I did say Snaggle Truth. Yes. <laughs> you can't handle the Snaggle Truth. Um, <laughs> a 21 back Empire Strikes Back Snaggle Tooth proof. Now, it was sold in 2002 at the Celebration 2 room sales. Now, those happened in Indianapolis at Celebration yep. 2, the world famous room sales. 
And at that point, an Empire Strikes Back proof card would have sold to $50 at $50. Okay. So somewhere around 11 o'clock at night during that room sale in May 2002, Collector One buys the 21 back proof for $50. Mm-hmm. He liked it, but he didn't love it. He mainly bought it because everyone else was buying all these proofs and they seemed kind of cool. He didn't quite get what the big deal was. There was a long line. All the other better characters were, were snapped up. The Star Wars proofs, the Power of the Force proofs that were cooler, those all sold for 200 And this didn't quite seem worth it. It was just a piece of paper. There was no toy, but he bought it and he kind of liked it. Eventually, he doesn't care about it too much. And he starts to see there's a lot more people buying proofs. Like Mm -hmm. on Rebel Scum, which Collector One is sort of knows about, but not really, because he was actually mostly on the Usenets, uh, you know, uh, Rax V, you know, he mostly is interested in in like production items or or if if pre production, he likes, you know, first shots and hard copies. So he doesn't really care that much about these proofs. And he starts to see all these people getting really excited about proofs. Now, they're kind of spurred on by the John Kellerman book, which came out a couple years earlier. And there's like this guy out of Sweden who's always talking about proof cards. And it seems like people are getting a little bit excited about proof cards. And so it's just too good of a deal, right? Someone offers him $250, which was astoundingly high at the time for just a standard proof card of an undesirable character. He can't Mm -hmm. pass it up. So Collector 1 sells it to Collector 2 for $250. Collector 2 is the snaggletooth guy, okay? Okay. He joined Rebel Scum in 2003, made friends with everybody. He's posting all the time. Everyone talks about him. He calls himself the Snagmaster. That's his handle. Let's pretend. (laughs) Snagmaster1138, Okay. (laughs) And, and he's a really cool dude, and he's, uh, let's say, he's from somewhere in Florida, and uh, people know him, and, and he went to Celebration 3, and he's hanging around, and he's really energetic, and he's in the Fantasy Football League. Okay, let's just imagine that. And he is okay. the snaggletooth guy. The thing is, he doesn't have that much money. He doesn't care that much. Over time, his passion fades a little bit. And that's when Collector 3 starts knocking on the door. Now, Collector 2 had a full run of Snaggletooth proofs. But he sold his 20-back proof for like a 1000 bucks a couple years earlier. And he just just can't believe how high things are going. Mm -hmm. And so Collector 3 contacts him on Facebook in 2014. He badgers him and pesters him all the time because he's the new Snaggletooth guy. And he's the guy who all the Facebook guys tag, okay? Oh, man, Uh you're the Snag guy. Oh, it's so great. He takes pictures of himself with his Snaggletooths. And he's he's always funny because he, like, uh, has a big mustache or something. And it's like, oh, nice mustache, Snaggletooth man. Okay. (laughs) And he offers Collector 3, the Facebook collector, offers $1,600. So that's just too much for collector number two, who bought it for $250. Mm -hmm. Collector number three, super number one snaggletooth collector of all time, grades it, doesn't really care, gets out of snaggletooth, could care less. 
by this point, proofs have gone through the roof. And astronomical. Astronomical. Yeah. And someone contacts him, the new Snaggletooth guy, and he, collector number four, buys it for $4,000 last month. <sighs> All those figures are completely accurate and in keeping with how things are going. So the question yeah. is, how does it go from one to two, $50 to 250 Mm-hmm. 250 to 1,600, 1,600 to 4,000. There's the full chain, one to four. Yeah. But what's yeah. missing, Steve? Collector's zero. <laughs> How did the proof get to celebration two? Yeah. Think yep. about all that money that was generated by this one proof. Okay? All of this collecting, all of this joy of getting a package in the mail of this really rare item of which there's maybe five of it out there in the world. The grading and the, and the prizing and the showing off and the limelighting and the selfies and the whole thing. It all Goes started to, uh, yeah. with Collector Zero, Steve Denny. Point, point, point of origin. Point yeah. of origin. So that's what I want to tell because I love the idea of the circulation of these items and where they go and where they're going to go. And is this guy mm-hmm. who bought it for $4,000, is he a genius who's going to sell it for 10000 in five years? He might be, Steve. <laughs> he might make the most money of anybody on this thing. How's that? Collector it's four. a crazy, crazy chain. Collector uh. four. Right. So anyway, <laughs> obviously I'm collector two in this situation. <laughs> I, I was collector two as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I got to talk to collector zero. Um, was that too much, Steve? No, no, that, that was good. I, I think that was a that was a new spin in terms of building up a, a story here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's so. I mean, I, reading it, I it's just it's funny that that is a very familiar. Story. <laughs> yep, and that and that's what happens. Yeah. And and let's get to Collector Zero. Let's listen to and it's going to be started with John Wooten. I'm going to talk to him a little bit about KennerCollector.com and about what he's doing over there. Uh, and then we'll finally get to the fireworks factory of Steve Denny talking about how he found um, a lot of proofs. So you think about what a lot of proofs might mean, and then get ready to hear what the actual number is. Okay. Here's an oldie but goodie. Once upon a time. Long ago. Ticolo Carbon. Ticolo Carbon Story Time. Hit it, hit it. Toronto, gosh. Hit it. The store is a prescription brand. So, I, I'm here finally in the legendary Alexis Diner. Part of the part of the problem of recording this show when I'm hanging around with people is it's hard to break up the flow of conversation. So I'm just starting right now. We're waiting for our food. I got uh, two eggs with sausage. Yehuda somehow get French fries at breakfast, which I think is disgusting. But I want to finally talk a little bit about Steve Denny. But I first want to talk about John Wooten, who's taken over the site. Now, if you want to find the best information about who Steve Denny is and the greatest, longest interview in the world, you don't talk to him right over here. He's right next to me. You go to which website, uh, John? KennerCollector.com. And and what's your relationship to it? So now I guess I'm more or less editor-in-chief. 
Right. So he's he's the editor in chief, along with uh, Josh Blake. And what else can you see there besides the uh, besides the Steve Denny interview? Well, I want to give a shout out to some other guys too. So Joe Logan, Steve Meister, um, and Joe. Uh, actually, I've never said his name out loud. So it's Joe Curcio or something like that. Um, Joe Kersavich? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, a big starting lineup guy. Okay. And then uh, we're adding uh, Bill Wills this month. Wow, awesome! That's another editor. And so it's it's a really great site. We like to go to it. Um, also, we were talking earlier that I once did a, a, a tour of of Cincinnati through Kenner, and then you guys did one that was good. So that's that's something to check out. And uh, awesome. Yeah, so, you know, other things you can find out there is things about the history of, of Kenner Toys in Cincinnati, um, from obscure lines to just the geography of how the, the place was laid out. Um, and basically, anything you want to know about Kenner should be on the site, um, or if it's not, we can uh, let us know, and we'll find out. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, a lot of people want to learn about Cincinnati, want to learn about Kenner. The archive has a lot of good stuff about that. But really, Kenner Collector is like the perfect complement to your vintage information about what Kenner is. Okay, then, then can you give an introduction? Who is Steve Denny? Who is this person we're going to talk about? Steve is a living legend. He, he's the source of, of, of so much great Star Wars stuff from over the years that was pretty much quite literally saved from destruction, um, <laughs> sometimes by Steve himself. Uh, a great uh, personal peril, um, and uh, he's he's just got wonderful stories and, uh, and and a keen knowledge of the Star Wars hobby from a time when when really nobody else was doing what he was doing. Yeah, if you have a proof card in your collection, it probably came from Steve. Is that fair to say? Absolutely fair to say. I would say eighty to ninety percent of the proofs that are out there, from uncut sheets to uh, you know, the blank back proofs or square cor- corner proofs or just regular garden variety proofs, that stuff has probably come from Steve somewhere between, like, 1989 and now. And so he's sitting right next to me on the other side of me in this in this booth right here. Should, should I go over and interrupt his conversation with Ron and start talking to him about it? What do you think? He loves to talk about this stuff. All right, so, Steve, yes. your friend John has just told me that you love to talk about this stuff. So sometimes. I, sometimes. Okay, so here's, here's the question. If you are indeed the source of 80 to 90% of all proofs in Star Wars out there, tell us, how did you first find proofs? Why were you out there looking? What, what is going on, Steve Denny? What years are we talking? Ooh, that's a good question. I can't remember the years. Around 91, 92. All right. And uh, I wasn't looking for proofs. I was just looking for for toys. And I would write to, uh, I worked at the post office. And when packages would come through going to Kenner Toys in Cincinnati, they had a, a blue label on it and I could spot it. And I'd always have attention, uh, whoever, and I'd write to them. And one guy called uh, my wife while I was at work one day, and he said he needs to call me. So I called him up. I, first thing I asked him was, how would you get my name? He says, you wrote me a letter two years ago, and I threw it in the drawer, and I called you up. And that's the guy that had the proof cards. 
So, so you were working in the post office in northern Kentucky, and you were just keeping your eye out and writing letters. And so he he called you. And so, what was it like? Did you go over to his house? How, how did you? Who was this? I mean, you don't, obviously, you don't say his name, but or unless you want to. But who was this person? And and how did you end up holding on to them? Uh, he was a Kenner employee. I think he was in quality control. I'm not sure exactly what department he was in. I went to his house. He had uh, close to 2,000 proof cards. He had three or four boxes of, of recessed boxes. And at that time, well, I'm not going to tell you what the other stuff he had because that will give him away. But I wasn't, he told me never to give, him, give out his name. So I can't give his name until later maybe. But he had just a ton of stuff and... We spent 500 bucks for all those proof cards. So, so 500 bucks for 2,000 proof cards. Now, 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 part of the thing that we that, that we do on on the show, uh, Steve, to make things fun, is we never name the sources, but we come up with funny nicknames for them based on physical attributes or where they lived or something idiosyncratic about them. Is there something funny we could say to call the source of all proofs from Kenner? Some funny name like. Code name. Yeah, some code name. Are you talking about me for a code name? No, no, you're, you're oh, Steve yeah, Denny, but for this this guy. No, I, th- I would be afraid to do it because it, it may be a clue that somebody could track him down, and I swore I'd never give his name out. Mr. X. Wow, all right. Mr. X is cool. Mr. Okay. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Max. <laughs> All right. Okay, so, so then... So marks the spot. <laughs> okay, so then so Mr. X sells those to you, and you have them. And then if you go to KennerCollector.com, which is now run by John Wooten, you can see all of your, all of your information about how you sold those. But in, in, so what's a, a, brief, a brief story of why is it that you no longer have 2,000 proofs? How did you end up getting rid of them over the years? How did you sell them? What, what do you think of? You know, how, how do you remember it? Well, we first broke down uh, what we had by character only. We didn't, didn't know anything about the different backs. I didn't know a whole lot about the different backs. I didn't pay any attention to it. Or the, uh, the ads on the front. We just broke them down by character and movie and put them in sets. And we sold the sets. I sold quite a few sets, and then uh, I just kind of put them away. There wasn't a whole lot of interest in them. I didn't want to fool with them. And then I can't remember. Somebody started talking about them, probably uh, Gus and Ron and Chris and Eddie or somebody. And that's when I came up. I, I conferred with them about uh, reference on prices, and we made the list, and we started selling them. And... They got, they got out on the market more, and then at Celebration Two, we had a big blowout there, and that's kind of opened the market up. Right, that was legendary sale where, yeah. and and that was I wasn't there, so it was Dan Florida who brought them. Well, they were they were commissioned. They were selling them up through Tom Derby. Tom Derby had a bunch left that he couldn't move, and they were uh, given to uh, Dan Florida. Uh, and uh, I know Tom took him up to did Tom take him up to C two or did Dan? I think Tom took him up to C two. I drove I drove a, a short box of some of them. I think a lot of the superpowers and that kind of thing. I, I had a short box just packed full. But I drove over to Indy. They were given to uh, Dan at C two, and there was a. Uh, Paper they had to sign and all that, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, 
<laughs> like a consignment contract thing? Or? Something like that. It was notarized. That's what it was. Something like that, which really was nothing. But they were signed over to Dan, and then that's where they did the the, the room sales. And uh, good buddy Chris Jorgulius came up with the idea that we should sell three proof cards for one hundred dollars. <laughs> blow them out. And I said, Yeah, it's, let's do it. We got them left over, and it, it, you know that's how the market kind of opened up right there. I think. And that's one of my, this story is great. We talk about it a fair amount, but the reason why people perceive a value so differently is those things now are obviously so much more. Okay, now now Ron's also here, and Ron says that Steve tells the best stories. Is there some f- more funny or goofy story that you think that Steve should tell while, while we have him here on the hook? Remember, you put me on the spot. Yeah. tell good stories. Was there a time, Steve, where you had to, you had to, a chance to buy a bunch of proof cards but you couldn't fit them all in your car or a bunch of stuff in boxes and you had to leave a box? No, I don't remember that one. No. I think the one, there's a recent one, uh, not too long ago, maybe five years ago, the lady had some bag figures down in Covington and I go down and it, I still, and I passed them up, I should have bought them. Somebody got them, it was a good deal. And I went in the house and in the corner, it was a big old house, in the corner of the house, at the corner of the one room, they had it fenced off, and they had chinchillas living in the living room, <laughs> climbing up on branches and stuff. And I, at first, I thought it was just like a, a mobile or a, a, a fake a museum piece or something. And then the chinchillas started moving. I thought that was the weirdest thing. Right in your living room? I thought that was crazy. That was a little nuts. Steve, what about... Uh... Well, when's the first time you, you got a rocket fit, a rocket firing Boba fit? Uh, that was, yeah, that was a, a Kenner employee, uh guy named Elmer Burrington was a Kenner employee, and he had, uh, I don't know what department he was in, but he had a couple pieces, and he had the, he had one rocket fit there, and uh, I picked that up there, and then he, he led me to, to some more... And I ended up with about, I think we had six. I had six of them one time. Did you know what it was? Like when you first saw it, did you know what it was? Yeah, I knew what it was. I, was, I knew that was a hot item, that and the tie bomber and all this, you know, the, the really tough ones to get. And, and do, you, do you remember what you paid for it? Are you comfortable sharing what, what you used to pay for those? Yeah, back, back then they were, uh, they were going at the time about $1,000 a piece. I think the first one I got for 500 Wow, and so at one point you owned six of them and you just... Yeah, I had six of them. I had three of the blue ones and three of the gray ones. Well, and so then you you'd put those. So Steve would have like these catalogs that he would put together pre-computer and everything. And so, are there catalogs out there that feature, you know, hey, I have six rocket fets for sale, and people would be able to buy them that way? No, I don't think I ever advertised the uh, the fets in the because uh, I wasn't going to sell them. <laughs> right. <laughs> And then I, I actually have something on my phone that's kind of fun. I took a picture from an old toy shop uh, that was in uh, Ron's Ron's collection, and uh, it's it's a picture of something from your collection that you were selling back then. Uh, Governor Coon. Yeah, so so it's 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 a Governor Coon. And first of all, I'm I'm going to read the copy. It says. Uh, Let's see, Governor Coon, four-inch action figure, Governor Coon, hand-painted ceramic-type piece with plastic weapon, near-mint condition, super rare, and it's real. 
accepting offers over $1,200 until uh, February 22nd, 1992. Call or write for more authenticity details to Steve Denny. Is there any story behind the, the Governor Kuhn? Well, I had, uh, when I picked, when I got the, uh, the prototypes of that, the guy that I got the proof cards from uh, called me back and he had some more stuff. I think what he was doing at the time was scouring around through Kroger building, finding what he could find and whoever didn't want it. And he, when I first got the prototypes, he had a whole box, like a chalk box, that he had railroad chalk in. If you ever saw railroad chalk in a box. Okay, okay. Ra railroad chalk, all right. Yeah, <laughs> comparable. It was about the size of the box. Just The whole box was just running over with prototypes. I couldn't believe it. I asked him, I said, are those prototypes? He says, yeah, whole box. <laughs> and there, I had multiples of, of Kung and Blicks and all of them, and, you know, Mungo Bob and so Admiral Screed. So I was just selling an extra prototype at that time, I think. Wow, so maybe we could call this guy like the conductor or something. If he has a, a railroad chalk box, that's like the most... I, what it look like? It looked yeah. like a railroad chalk might have been in there. Because when I worked at the post office, we used with the, the old railroad chalk to mark the bags and on certain things. Back when I was uh, buying from an old-time collector who was getting rid of his stuff, he had photos, Steve, and there were photos that you sent him. And some of the shots were like droids and Ewoks, just unproduced figures. You know, you'd have all of them, you know, multiples of some of them. Did you get those all from one guy? Was it from that one guy? Or was it all, all in one, all in the chalk box. All in one shot. One's all hard copies. Coins in the bottom, unproduced coins laying in the bottom. One shot. Wow, Mr. X really, uh, really yeah, pulled through. Yeah. Were those, those are hard copies? Yeah, right. Did you know what those were at no, the time? I had no ham clue. <laughs> figure it out? Like, through you guys. You know, I learned, I learned everything from the collector. So I'd find something and then, you know, I'd show them pictures and they'd tell me what it was. And that's how I learned. That's how I got my information. Yeah, because when you call it a ceramic type. Yeah, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have a clue. I didn't know what Dynacast was and all that kind of stuff and waxings and two-ups, four-ups, you know. So I, I learned from you guys. And I don't think a whole lot of people knew at the time anyway. So... Once you take a picture of it and you start finding it, and they said, where'd you get it? And they started doing research, and they found out. Earlier, I think it was yesterday, you were talking about having a chance to buy some like wax sculpts from a sculptor. Um, did you get any from him? or did you, you? I mean, you told me you wanted to buy some, but you didn't want to sell them. Did, did he sell you anything at that time? Or no, that, that was one of the sculptors you're talking about. The, yeah. you, know, who, you, didn't, you didn't get anything from him? Yeah, I got, I got a few pieces, but he was real funny about what he'd sell. You know, yeah. Same guy. What, what pieces did you get from Warwick? Uh, was it micro? Or just... Yeah, I think they were all micro figures. There weren't any other, you know, actually would be three and three quarter figures. It was all micro stuff. So I guess he worked on that line. Of course, he worked on a lot of lines, I think. Well, that guy ended up, he ended up consigning a lot of those micro sculpts to someone else, and they put them in toy shop. It was like 94. I don't know if you remember that at all. There was a big toy shop ad where a lot of those micro sculpts, there were, I don't think any of them sold in the auction. Huh. Really? That's wild. I thought they were cool. Well, the first time I met him was at a toy show. He was set up in the back, and he had, he had stuff laying on the floor on a blanket. And I saw the Star Wars stuff, didn't really know what they were. I knew they were micro lines, and uh, it was a green Dynacast, 
and I bought I bought ten of them ten of them off him for four hundred dollars. Okay, so you got and that's how I met him. You bought the four ups then. Yeah, they were the Dynacare. I didn't know. I didn't even know what a waxing was at that time. And then when I went went to his house, excuse me, he had some waxings and stuff. And then he'd sell a couple pieces at a time. Like uh, Yehuda said, he just probably needed some money (laughs) to buy posters, which may lead you to who it is. And then, and then the, my, a story that I've heard actually twice this weekend because I told different people and I found really funny. We don't have to give names, but about a particular trade that you made. How did you end up? Because you were looking for a production Luke Stormtrooper uh, Power of the Force figure, and you somehow had a trade. And this trade I find really fascinating. So what did you trade? And, and uh, t- tell the story about how did you get, I mean, somebody who just bought uh, 10 four-ups for $400. How did you end up getting your Luke Stormtrooper production figure? Uh, the Luke Stormtrooper uh, was available from another uh, collector, and he needed he needed some Hoff Stormtroopers. So we did a trade. I just picked up some, and we did a one-on-one trade. No, no. You said you picked up some. How many Hoth Stormtroopers did you pick up I picked up approximately 400 Hoth Stormtroopers. Return. And uh, are we talking about carded? Carded, mint condition figures, still in the case. Okay, so so you traded one of your 400, and do you remember what you paid for the 400 Hoth Stormtroopers? I paid 10 cents a piece. <laughs> and then you you, tra- you traded one of those for a Luke Stormtrooper. I tra- well, the offer was made to me one-on-one, so I said, I thought that's a good deal. It's a real good deal for me. So I went in and took the deal, and, uh, yeah, that was an even trade, one for one. At the time, the funny part is, at the time, it wasn't common knowledge that Luke Stormtrooper was that much rarer than Hoth Stormtrooper. So it was like, oh, all right, sure, one for one, why not, you know, it's... Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. At the time, uh, each figure was worth maybe what, maybe eight, ten bucks at the time, <laughs> if that much on the, you know. So I just took it as an even try. I knew that Luke Stormtrooper was maybe a little bit better figure, but not that much. Well, if the offer was made to you, I, I think it was fair. I just love that the part of the story of the having four hundred of a carded figure because I mean really it is the, qu- the quantities and the quality of these items is just so unbelievable but uh, I, I think I maybe disrupted this, this dinner enough were you ever trying to get all the figures like were you trying to build a collection where you had one of each or was that just something that was you weren't trying to do no I was I was looking at it as, as a dealer at the time I mean I, I loved to collect it I, I liked the collecting but basically it was Whatever was available, I would pick up. Like the one time the guy had the box of the uh, the Zuckas, he had 500 Zuckas. I bought them all. I mean, I would just buy it. if it was there, I'd buy it. Right. So was it was like uh, you know you couldn't go wrong. And and how did you get started buying Star Wars toys at all? Because it does happen to be Father's Day, so I think this is kind of a, a fun and cute story. In that. Well, yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, when my boy was about five, six years old. He started, he wanted to get into Star Wars, and we uh, always went to the flea market. So we would see one guy selling for 50 cents and the guy right next to him selling for $5. Now, what, what year is this? Oh. Lord. Around 1985, right? Yeah, it'd be around 85, 86, right? 
And then uh, I thought, well, I always wanted to start a little business, so I thought I'd try to Star Wars. I liked it anyway, so we started picking up stuff from Toys R Us, Children's Palace, etc., and that's how it started. Uh oh. And and so were you guys like? Did you ever do things together, like as a father son tandem, like getting toys or? Oh yeah, well, it's, uh, he was my partner. He uh, Kyle Kyle was my partner. We we went to flea markets, yard sales, uh, toy stores in the general area around Cincinnati, Louisville, Dayton. I don't think we went to Indianapolis, but it's, we went to all the stores, and then he he'd go with me, and we'd we'd bring them home. We'd set them up and price them out and do the research on them. Isn't it true that when you started looking for stuff, you were just looking for toys because they weren't in the stores anymore, and that was what led you to look for garage sale stuff? Well, we went we went everywhere. I mean, any, anywhere the toy was available, I'd buy new, used, whatever you could get. I'd go to auctions. You weren't uh, looking for prototypes no, off the bat. No, I wasn't looking for prototypes. I, I didn't even know what a prototype was. I didn't know anything about proofing material, uh, first shots, any of that stuff until the guy called me on the proof cards, and that's when it started. And when I saw that, I was hooked because I knew nobody else had this kind of stuff, and that's what I wanted—the unique items. Here's a Yehuda question. So you actually had picked up all the proofs before you were aware of what they really were and just realizing that they were interesting. That's, that's exactly. I had no clue what a proof card was, and I just thought, man, these are unique because they had the square corners. You know, they were just totally different. And that's what I wanted. I said, man, I love this stuff. And at one point, you were putting together sets like revenge sets and selling them with the entire complete set. Do you remember what you were selling them for initially? Yeah, they were. They, I think the only carded figure missing in revenge in some of the sets was uh, was the walrus man. For some reason, that wasn't even made or wasn't available. Whatever. I think a, a set of about forty-eight cards I sold for fifty bucks. <laughs> so, so that's what a revenge set used to go for. <laughs> Yeah, bucket piece, and then, you know, after a while, they started to get some information on them. Guys were wanting them, the word was getting out, and I'd jack them up a little bit. Not much, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars for a set like that. And then I only had a couple sets like that, and then it started, you know, to go down to maybe 40 cards and 30. And then that's and then I put them away and didn't fool with them for a while until some guys started asking about them. And that's when we started marking them a, you know, $100, $200 and that kind of stuff. What did, you, what did you think when you saw those that Revenge was on the cards? Did you notice that right away, or was that yeah. something? Yeah, we saw the Revenge. I thought that was cool because I knew the movie. I knew that the movie wasn't made and the name change, etc. But uh, I thought those were kind of cool. But we still sold those cheap, too. <laughs> all right, well, our, our food is here. There's plenty more to be told and read, and it's actually all on the Kenner Collector site. So this is a story. Yeah, Yehuda's got French fries, the animal, and, uh, and we're, we're going to enjoy our breakfast here at the legendary Lexus Diner. So thank you so much, Steve, for talking with us, and yeah, thank you for saving everything. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It was nice meeting you guys. We had a great weekend this week. It was just fantastic. Now we're going to eat some good food. Yeah, all right. So there was the big interview with the quantities that are difficult to comprehend, uh, told in a very agreeable way. There was a great moment in the middle of it where (laughs) 
it had been dark the whole weekend. The sun didn't shine at all. And the yeah, sun came yeah. in. And Ron is like, oh, the sun. And he kind of whispers it. And Yehuda thought he meant close the blinds. So Yehuda like, gets up and like, kind of bumps in to me and to Steve while we're talking. And then Ron's like, no, Yehuda, no, Yehuda, don't. He's like, I was saying I like the sun. So that that's the uh, that that's the Steve Denny interview. Uh, maybe we'll get to talk to him again. It was really nice. It was. Yeah, I, I hope uh, I hope I get to meet him at, at some point. I did. Seems like it's it's pretty pretty tough. But I'm glad I'm glad you got to spend some time with him. That's it's awesome. And now, Steve, as promised, <laughs> time for my scandalous question. Right. Before I do that, I want to say one more thing that that Chris Jorgulius and I were talking about. Okay. Um, we actually talked a lot about something we'll talk about next month, which is the the CAS uh, um, Ross Barr buying in CAS, uh-huh. um, and he helped me figure out exactly what my position is because I think I come across a lot stronger than I mean to be. Um, okay. I just want to say it is a conflict of interest when it comes to any discussion of grading on those groups. That's as simple as I can make it, and I just think it should be said. And that was basically what it, what it pared down from. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sort of extended into a longer discussion about grading and why do people grade. And, and Chris was making the point that collectors just want to have a collection that's different than everyone else's, that's unique. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a question we should ask people. What makes your collection unique? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I, I think really, yeah, it's like the quintessential question. <laughs> because it, it can be different things. Yeah, and I think, and his point is a lot of the reason why people do grading is because they think it makes their collection unique, and maybe it does. But anyway, that's sort of a bigger question, a philosophical yeah, question. Yeah, that, that is definitely a bigger question. Toys <laughs> unique. Okay, Steve, I'm now going to blow up the world. All right, I'm I'm uh, I'm strapped in. Um, and, I think and, I'm and ready. As I've told you, there's actually <laughs> been a book about this subject that came out within the last year. I don't own the book. I haven't contacted anybody to look in the book to see if they can disprove my theory. So my theory, ah, you know what? I I got the book at Celebration. I haven't looked at it yet, so this this will be interesting. Okay, then I might edit out this whole thing. And <laughs> if I do, we'll cut right to Wampa Wampa right now. <laughs> okay. But this is my thing, Steve. Is everything top toys fake? Sky here. Another little vintage vocab for our newer listeners. So Top Toys is the name of the Argentinian toy company that exists. And it is the name of the company that distributed Star Wars toys in the vintage era. They are not bootleg, although they are quite bizarre. They are slightly smaller than Kenner figures because instead of having a traditional mold, they were molded off of the Kenner figures themselves. Their card backs are slightly interesting. Some of them have very different quality printing. Um, On the back, instead of featuring images from Return of the Jedi, they feature uh, the 12-back art surrounded by a yellow rectangle. Uh, A lot of pre-production material exists for these, hard copies, uh, proof cards, and the molds themselves. Um, There are several figures uh, from the line that are known, Luke Jedi, there's lots of Stormtroopers, Chewbacca, uh, Logre, Yoda, and that's all I can think of on the top of my head, although I imagine there were more. There was also a 
Lando with a uh, uh, Lando skiff guard that came with a uh, sticker for a Pepsi promotion, although that was proven to be false. That was proven to be fake. That's kind of the origin of what's coming up next with my crazy theory, which I'm prefacing here. Um, there was a person in Argentina named Pablo who managed to counterfeit an entire line of bootlegs, which will be mentioned later, PPL, look those up on the archive. They're like these weird sort of mixture of Fisher-Price and Star Wars figures, and they were really cool and really neat, and they were too cool to be true, and they are too good to be true. They are not real. So that is the basis of everything I'm about to talk about. There is a book written entirely about Argentinian Star Wars toys by a guy named Daniel Segovia. Um, he's a nice guy. We met him. We don't particularly know him very well. It is entirely possible that everything I'm about, you're about to hear me say with Steve is completely count, contradicted by that book. I suggest you go out and buy that book. Don't be like me. Buy all the Star Wars books. I just, I get behind and then I buy them all at once. So that's what Top Toys is. That's what PPL is. Okay, let's get back to my controversial theory about it, which Steve had nothing to do with. Is every single item that has to do with Top Toys, from production to pre-production, is it all 100% fabricated? Mm. I don't think so, Steve. But... Hear me out about why it could be, okay? Right. First of all, Argentina has a long history with fakes. Yeah. Proven by the fact that there is a bootleg line of mm -hmm. Star Wars toys that is featured on the Star Wars Collector's Archive, which, by the way, nowhere on the Star Wars Collector's Archive does it say that this is fake, but there is an entire line of bootleg figures that were proven to be completely fan-made by a guy named Pablo Artesi, okay? Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. guy, Pablo, who also was known by Weeba Weeba, is known to have created this line. It's called uh, PPL. So you look up PPL Bootleg Star Wars, you'll come on a wonderful article written by John Alvarez, okay? John Alvarez did a knockout job on this. It just happens to be that the entire line of... Um, let me see. How many figures of uh, like 30 figures looks like? No, like 40 figures. They were all faked. They were like based on adventure people, Fisher Price, but the whole thing was faked. Mm. And he sold them to, to, to collectors and he knew how to do it. Okay, so that's, that's pretty big deal. And yeah. that's been known about. Now, the thing is, is I was talking about it, and I've never seen any actual evidence of Top Toys figures being sold in Argentina. Mm. And if you were to fake an entire line of Star Wars toys, what would be the biggest obstacle? Well, you'd need to find a mold. Well, right. what are Top Toys? The mold is smaller because mm -hmm. they weren't molded off the original mold. They were molded off the Kenner figures. Production figures, off yeah. Off the production figures. 
Now, that's just what they say. Oh, Argentina didn't have the molds or they didn't have the access to it. But why would non-bootleg figures be molded off of a different size? Mm -hmm. I mean, Glasslight didn't do that. PBP didn't do that. Meccano didn't do that. None of the other international licenses had this problem. Yeah, it's, including uh, other South American licenses, mm -hmm. of which there's extensive evidence that Glasslight existed in Brazil. <laughs> okay, and then on top of all that, Steve, well, there was all these figures, and the the card backs are all they're they're not very good looking. They look messed up. I have an AFA eighty Chewbacca, and I've never felt good about it. I've always mm. felt that it looked a little bit off. It looked a little bit misprinted. Even if there are a lot of legitimate Top Toys carded figures out there, I still think mine is fake. Okay? Mm. I have something to lose in this because I think it's fake. But I don't know. That's just me. Okay. Mm. There was a uh, Lando Calrissian skiff guard with a Pepsi offer. So like they had like a little sticker on it that said, you know, Pepsi offer free. And this was like one of the figures that's on that's featured on the back of the Top Toys card back. Now mm -hmm. the Top Toys card back itself is this weird, funky yellow thing with a twelve with the twelve back image on it. Right. And it's like kind of kooky and weird, and it feels to me like somebody was might have been trying to make something that was kooky and weird, but it doesn't make any sense. Why? Why would a an Argentinian Return of the Jedi era card back? feature early American images. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make sense. And so there was this really cool Lando Calrissian with a Pepsi sticker on it. I mean, how cool does that sound? Pablo made the whole thing. Okay, we discovered that Pablo made the whole thing. The same time that the discovery was that Pablo created that, mm -hmm. well, before that discovery, when the, when the, the Pepsi thing was discovered, the same yeah, time, do you know what when when about this was? I'm trying to remember. I, I'm not quite positive. I would have had to do okay. research, and, and I want this theory to be raw, and <laughs> right, and, right, right, raw, right. And naked, and easily disproved. Yes, okay. Because I don't want it to be true. Okay, but I'm, I'm going like Alex Jones territory here. Listen here. Okay. Oh man. Oh no. Hundred digit oh, no. figures. Okay. All of them were made. Okay. Don't 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 go don't go there. <laughs> Listen, Steve. Okay. It's very possible that these figures did exist, okay? But all of you out there, okay, in the MSM, uh, who think it believes, uh, it turns out oh, I do a really good... Dude, did you hear how good that Alex Jones presentation that, was? That, that was kind of scary. I'm, I'm glad you stopped. <laughs> so when the Lando Pepsi was discovered, do you know what else was discovered? All of the pre-production material for the Top Toys line. Yeah, so this is like the, the hard copies, the, the hard copies molds. and the molds. Right. Now, everybody looked at these and said they looked good. And when I say everybody, I mean all of the people who you'd want to look at it who yeah, know I, about these things. I actually had not I had a couple of the ones for Yoda way back when. Um right. the, those not anymore, but yeah, it's funny. I I, I think it was probably like the mid 2000s. Um right. I had those for a little while. Yeah. And and good friends of mine have these. Right. But the, yeah. this is the thing, Steve. People want to believe things are true, and that's how they get fooled. That's how Toy Tony happened, because people wanted them to be true. 
And so my whole thing is I'm probably wrong, okay? If I had to bet on me being right, I don't think I'm right. I think I'm Alex Jones. <laughs> but, Let's hope you were, you were on the, yeah, but, the Jones side of this. But just think about all of my reasoning here. Why would the Pepsi thing be fake, but then these molds be real? And if the molds yeah. aren't real, then obviously the toys aren't real. It, if it's a fake, it's very clear how it happened. Now, there's a lot of reasons why it wouldn't be true. One, they weren't that valuable. They sold for like 50 bucks a piece. Uh, mm. According to Ron and, and Chris, who I was talking to about this on the boat. Yeah. Um, I was having very long conversations on the on the boat. Um, <laughs> I was, you know, they were saying, you know, but people didn't even like them. Like they only sold for like thirty or fifty bucks a pop, and then to invest that much into making the molds, I mean, it doesn't seem very likely. Okay, mm-hmm. you would have had to have predicted all of these things that ha- happened. That would happen way down the line. In order to yeah. have done it a long time ago. Yeah. So I'm probably wrong, but that's my provocative question. Actually, I'm, I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm probably wrong. I'm going to say this theory is probably a crackpot theory. <laughs> but what I would like to see is real tangible evidence that these toys were sold and that these things are real. Like what is real and what is not? Mm-hmm. Let's just leave it at that. What is? What do we know to be real from Argentina and what do we know to be fake? And mm-hmm. is it not possible that Pablo... Or somebody like Pablo created the entire line. Okay, now you are no longer sheeple. Okay, ah. uh, boy, <laughs> I cannot talk like that anymore. No, I was gonna say it's got to be pretty damaging to you. I, I don't know how he does it. Ah. Um, <laughs> you're my Megan Kelly, Steve. Oh, uh, that's that's <laughs> flattering. Thank you. I actually, uh, I actually really respect her, Steve. I think she really gets a. I think she gets a short shrift. I, I think uh, I think she's great. Um, Alex Jones, not so much. No. So uh, there is my absolutely scandalous question. Now, (laughs) Top Toys does exist as a toy company, um, but what did they sell? What really exists? What is really out there? These are uncomfortable questions, but I like asking uncomfortable questions. And so that was our episode, Steve. (laughs) We got through it. It's... (laughs) Oh man, we did. D- Digby's barking. He's happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The fireworks are going off outside. Uh, it's 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 uh it's getting crazy here. Yeah, well, well we're <laughs> celebrating. It's been a good Father's Day. Yeah, um, good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna finally uh, uh, get some get some rest. Get ready for school week. I think this episode is gonna be awesome, and I look forward to people hearing it. Um, and I really wonder if nobody is going to respond to the thing at the end or not. <laughs> But this is the this is this is the other kind of part of the thing, Steve, is whenever Chris and Ron and I get together, a lot of it is complaining about how few people care about all the awesome work that we're doing for the hobby. Yeah. yeah. And so part of my theory is like if people don't respond to the Steve Denny stuff, but they respond <laughs> to the top so the, toy stuff, uh-huh. yeah. That's a you know, that's just further evidence that people are just stupid and all they care about is scandal and they don't really care about learning about the hobby. But yeah. if they just say Sky your uh Sky if they say this Sky you are a grade A certified 
nut, then we will know that they listened to the episode for the right reasons. Yes. Oh, okay. But my computer's about to die, so, right. Steve, I must say, a wampa wampa. Adios.